welcome to half a half a cinch. That's uh, 50 minus 25, and that comes to, I believe, uh, 25. Yeah, uh, years ago, uh, the year was 1998. We're talking about albums, musical albums from musical bands. Uh, my name is Mike. His name is JR. Yo. Gabe is with us again. You might remember him from um, the last time we did this thing. Hello, Radioland. Hello, listeners. I'm the uh, guy that could never get the sign off correct. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and, and uh, you—is there a sign off for this? We didn't. We didn't talk about this before you hit record, and now there's pressure. So I, I don't know. I guess you just have to wait and see. I got to remember not to nod. There's always. I always forget <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. It, nobody can see me agreeing by nodding. So and that doesn't Nick, Nick Drake and Nick Cave are two different musicians. Right. Nick Cannon, Drake Cave. That's, yes, that's kind of how I go go to it now. Yeah, <laughs> just cover all the bases. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gabe picked an album to listen to for us. What What did you pick? I picked more Chiba. One word, more Chiba. Uh, more Chiba. Uh, I was saying it. This album is just such a uh, soundtrack to so many different stages of my life, so many different experiences, mind-opening, mind-altering experiences, so many relationships. This was music to make love to your old lady to before I knew about Lovage. Uh, so I'm, I love this album. I think it's a near-flawless album, except for one small hiccup, which we'll talk about as we make our way through it. So. Yeah, the album is Big Calm. Um yeah, their their second album, probably the one that I know the best. I think lots of people, if you ask the Morchiba fans, they're like, "What is the album that you know them up by?" And I think it's Big Calm. I think it's this is the one. If may if not this, maybe their debut album or the one after it. But uh, this one, this one is definitely like it's the one that that got them uh, noticed. The, it was their first big success. Uh, JR, do you know this one? Um, no, I, I wasn't really um, in tune with this band before this. I'm sure I've heard them on a 90s soundtrack or something like that somewhere. Um, I've heard the name, but I had never heard the band before. Um, whenever I listened to the album, I had heard that song, The Sea. Yeah. Um, and I had also heard Big Calm, the title track, because of a list one time i found a list on the internet of like best guest rap spots oh okay and that song was on there so i went and listened to it um and and again if i would have known that the rest of the album was the way it was i probably wouldn't have you know it would have been a surprise to me but uh those when i heard those two i i had i had heard those songs before but i i'd never really had a a um, relationship with this band so far i guess you could say yeah it's pretty chill i mean it was it was right around the time the late 90s when i you know i started getting into like the the trip hop and the like sort of the more sensual uh you know fuckable albums you know <laughs> uh, and and uh yeah the thing is is that i mean would you agree that like this album even though Morchiba they started out on on the trip hop path as many groups did you know from england in the in the mid 90s but with big calm they really they're like we're going to do it a different way. We're actually, I mean, they're like trip hop and that whole scene is starting to take off. And maybe we kind of like want to stand out a little bit more like, because it, they, they kind of became like poppier. Yeah, right? definitely. The BPMs are definitely higher than the trip hop album. There are a couple times it almost gets there. Trip hoppy. Yeah. But most of the songs are a little are more upbeat. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, yeah, the mood, the mood isn't like as, as sort of dark, or mysterious it's actually it's actually like a little brighter you know yeah it was a lot of this this album this band was compared with their first album a lot to Portishead, which yeah. was yeah. you know always sort of a darker page in my in my mind i you know i was more into this band Portishead and massive attack were always in the yeah. background and that sort of led to mazzy star in oh. my world and um so to your all's point, yeah, this one definitely hits higher notes, brighter notes, and is a social album. I mean, this song, we had a, you know, in my college house, we had a, a five-disc CD changer in the main room, and this this album was always 
always on, uh, you know, in the rotation. Yeah, it, it's a good one to have on in the background, um, especially if you got like a, you know, a nice big like group of people like, you know, guys and guys and ladies trying to like guys mix and girls mingling. Mix, yeah, it's, it keeps, you know, it doesn't uh, for the most part, it doesn't, it, you know, it keeps keeps things moving. It doesn't lull um, and it's got a fun mix of instrumentals and and you know, positive lyrics and, uh, and to the other extreme, I mean, if you use this as the background for getting close to somebody, it'll take you on, you know, a, a sensual roller coaster, you know, yeah. if you're following the beats, it'll, it'll take you good places. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, the made up of two brothers, Godfrey brothers, these guys are originally from Kent. They, they moved to London in the mid nineties and they were at, a, as the story goes, they're at a party. There was a funk band playing, and Sky Edwards is pl- is doing backing vocals and playing guitar, and you know they they met and things went from there. It yeah, and then they just decided like to start doing demos in their home studio, and that's where you know they they did a, a debut EP, and then in '95 and then a full length in '96, and uh, eventually they bought their own professional studio um just pretty cool they must have had some money saved up they they scraped some money together or had a bit of a trust fund with you know who knows the- well you know and, and looking at what was um happening kind of before this album kicked off and i don't want to step on your you know if you're if you're going to launch into a background but no. you're signaling that it's okay to go on so go ahead so they they're they're the first album that came out uh the name is uh escaping me um but it it got them a tour and they were it got them recognition mm-hmm. um and they made this album uh christmas day 1995 they made it as one to have in the bag because they figured everything was going to be going crazy with the first album so they wanted to have this one to go and yeah. this one ended up being much more successful for them but the way they describe it is christmas day they said we're going to they they got crazy wasted and in listening to them talk and listening to them you know in in interview and and whatnot they really talk about how this album's called big calm but everything in their life was anything but calm that they were using a tremendous amount of drugs and alcohol that they were on this huge high that were incredibly young i think like 18 and 22 at the time so an ironic ironic title there. exactly it was an ironic title and um they they sort of credit sort of some of the more soothing elements of the album to what they were aspiring for in an otherwise crazy chaotic frenetic you know drug fueled time and yeah. so um so you know to your point they were having momentum from their first album um and they sort of channeled it into this one um but they talk a lot about you know how they were using just a lot of basic tools, basic softwares for looping and basic microphones. And Sky Edwards got her voice is just amazing. It's very good. It's uh, like, and yeah. it's, and speaking of Massive Attack, you she shows up on a Massive Attack album around this same time, and uh, I, she's contributed her voice to like lots of other things too. Yeah, yeah. She comes from a strong jazz uh, and jazz lounge. Lit- I was going to say lounge lizard, but that's not actually correct. Just a very strong jazz background. And yeah, what I, one thing I, I think is remarkable at a time when I was listening to this album paired with Led Zeppelin and the Beatles and X, Y, and Z. I mean, she makes no efforts to try to hide her British accent when she sings and it really, <laughs> you know, seeps into what she's doing. And I, I just always admired that. So. Yeah. yeah. I'm a big fan of bands that do that or rap hip hop groups. I think the hip hop, with the, the streets that that grand that group definitely like that attitude in the voice yeah you know? yeah uh so yeah the two brothers you got which is it's interesting you got um you got paul godfrey and he was like the dj guy you know all all of the record scratching is him uh he does a lot of the programming he had such like he was influenced by hip-hop a lot you know and that that comes through on the album so much you know and he did all like a lot of live drumming too for the album and he wrote all the lyrics which i, I actually i i was kind of surprised by that that uh sky was not a lyric writer for this group right. you know she was yeah. just lending the voice 
you know and um then the other brother it's interesting ross he's like he's the rock guy he was like really influenced by like psychedelic rock and stuff like that and this dude was the instrumentalist like i don't know if you saw on the list but everything he plays guitars he plays the steel, the lap steel the sitar uh, the clavinet, the Hammond organ, the Fender Rhodes, the Wolitzer piano. He does some drums too. Um, yeah, it was this these two brothers, which I I just think is so interesting. With these, like one going in this one direction and the other, and then they just kind of like fuse. They fuse together, and the, they, you know, that's what it is. It's like that's what the the trip, the whole trip hop style was in England at the time. These fusion, you know, of of you know, DJ, yeah, DJing and playing live instruments together. We're doing it again. We're nodding emphatically in agreement. You, you <laughs> listeners can't, yes, uh, yes, can't yes. see it, but everything, everything you're saying, we, we agree with speed agree <laughs> as Pete Holmes would say. So, um, and I think, I think, like I said, I think 18 and 22 when they made this album, yeah. I think the 18 year old, um, the younger one that's Ross was the, um, more of the instrumentalist and, you know, just seems to have, uh, I, you know, prodigy level skill. I don't know. He's he's a jack of all trades. Able to, it seems like if it has strings, he's able to make something good yeah. of it. So, yeah, and like I'm as a person who can play a lot of different instruments, it reminds me, like you you rarely see someone who plays all those instruments who's very ma- like a master at one of them. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and that's kind of what I've always found, you know, like I, I'm, I play guitar, but I'm not a shredder, you know, like I play drums, but I'm not like Neil Peart. I'm pretty, that's probably my most solid instrument, but it's weird. The mo- it, You get kind of like this uh, ambidextrous way of playing all these different things. And honestly, I think that and the parameters of the electronic drums and the programming made them write this stuff that's really not too intricate and it can be accepted by a lot of people because it kind of put them in this box in a good way you know yeah. so i yeah. but i mean his pedal steel playing is if you can play a pedal steel at all thumbs up for you that's a really hard instrument to even get a note out of yeah. um and it's funny nowadays you would listen to a record like this where you hear hear like slide guitar steel guitar sitar and you would just assume if the guy's playing guitar he's got some effect pedal you know? yeah right but yeah. this right. dude's actually playing the instruments um yeah. she she didn't correct me if i'm wrong she didn't play any guitar on this right no that's kind of a shame and yeah. you know, me personally if i was in this group i would think it'd be cool to throw her somewhere on there on guitar you yeah know? Uh, another thing I noticed, which is interesting, is he—it's not—he's not credited with any bass. So, like, all of the bass is handled either through sampling or through synth. Or that so, organ. If there's a Hammond and a Wurlitzer. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. But yeah, I just—I just kind of thought that was interesting to give, you know, to like he—I mean, he very well could play bass. I mean, for sure. But I just—I felt like maybe he was the kind of guy who like. He's like, yeah, I'm just gonna let my brother handle that because he's, you know, he's doing all like the synth stuff. So, well, and maybe it's just the opposite uh, marketing approach for drugs and alcohol. Maybe it's do enough <laughs> drugs and alcohol, and you can play any instrument. Yeah, not super well, but you can play. Not all. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, what's what's also cool about that is every individual track he can be like. Oh, I'm just gonna I'm gonna put the instrument on this one instead of putting every instrument on every song and they yeah. end up all sounding the same. Mm-hmm. Instead, he was like, "Oh yeah, the sitar will go on this one and only this one, and it'll be it's the sitar track, right?" Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. Well, yeah. One more thing about her vocals that uh, I noticed listening to this is she's they they really just kind of like give her like her space to do what she wants to do yet she's so minimalistic with it. Like there's, there's like rarely any sort of harmonies. She doesn't do a whole lot of layering. There's really no like effects on her vocals. It's just like, even though it's such a, like a, a slick produced album, her vocals, the way that she approached it is very raw. It's just sort of like mm-hmm. almost like maybe one or two takes and she's done. And just a like a little bit of harmony, like maybe on a yeah, Those are so effective though. When she does them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Are, you don't get a lot. So when you hear them, you're like, Ooh, nice. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't thought to put that to words, but you're absolutely right. I mean, she, she carries, 
you know, all of the vocals herself. And, mm. you know, to your, to your point, very little effect other than just her singing into, um, into a microphone. Yeah. And, it, it's like, it doesn't, she doesn't need to be overproduced because right? her voice uh, is so good on its God, own. God, her voice is like Nutella spread on bread. I mean, it's just toast. <laughs> it's so good. Oh man. <laughs> uh yeah let's get into the tracks uh yeah like we talked about the opening track the sea before it it was it was a big hit for them uh, i'm sure that a lot of people know this band from this song and it's it's kind of cool that it's it's the opening track too that really it that, sets that the stage for. so well it, i mean it it you know as far as an opening opening i think it's in the top five of best openings for an album i can't i yeah. can't honestly i can't even think of a better one i think it just so frames the see and um, it's it's a vacation song and it you're you really think like you're like you're on vacation and you're chilling out like on the beach or something and you put this album on and it just instantly you, you know you're transported to like where you want to be with this opening song yeah um they you know uh to listen to them tell it this was a song written in five minutes in their drunken Christmas Day experience. <laughs> so, um, and that comes up a lot for this album. It was compressed. Um, it was, again, they just talk about it. It's got this this bohemian, just hedonistic approach to it as well. You know, it's a lot of, of anxiety and drugs, and it produced this just absolutely amazing first first song. Yeah, so it's. Nuts. It sets the scene. It, like she's singing about seagulls, you know, stealing ice cream, which it's it's very funny because I've I've literally like seen that with my own eyes. Yeah, so very vivid and vivid Im- imagery. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's, it, it's cool. It it also that you know just in that opening line it declares sort of what we talked about. She is is British. She is you know <laughs> yeah. not trying to change, not trying to masquerade anything. You're getting her her full full effect here. Yeah, I'm glad uh, we get deep. I'm glad we get the the scratching of the record on the first song. Yeah, I yeah. feel like if that would have came in song two or three, I would have been like, "What? <laughs> we got <laughs> a DJ." But the, <laughs> they put their style. Like, I don't know which one of you said it, but the kind of it's a great start off because it really shows what you're going to get for the rest of the album. Between yeah. you know his acoustic guitar and wall guitar, and then the electric drums and the DJ. Stuff. Yeah, it's a good point. I said it. Gabe said it. it nice. Was, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, you're right. I'm pretty sure I, it was a good launch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I I was just about to point that out that this is the wall guitar song. That's mm. that's the one. That's the thing that stands out for this one. Very. He has very tasteful wall guitar. I'll <laughs> yeah. give him that. It is hard to make that sound chill and mixed in nice and without it taking over. I mean, most of us, as soon as we hear a wall guitar, it's like, what's that? You know, but he huh. just mixes it in. They make this stuff sound like samples or, you yeah. know, it's more like layered electronic music, yeah. but using organic instruments. So I like yeah. that. Um, yeah. And track two is this one's like the more upbeat style that they are trying to go for a little popier. And this one, like the record scratching is like way heavier. There's like a lot more of it in that chorus. Uh, well, it's all jazzy and, and droney and sitari at first. And you're like, yeah, whoa, yeah. this is a cool place we're going. But then, boom, a beat <laughs> comes in. You're like, yeah. whoa, cool. Yeah, shoulder holster. It's, um, it's pretty, the song's pretty much like a personification of like an emotion, you know, and that, and that emotion is sort of, it's paranoia. It's like fear. It's re, you know, it's reactionary. Uh, the whole like looking over your shoulder, always you know pulling guns out of your holster. Um, it's got it's like I don't know if you're familiar with like a very short-lived genre in the '90s called New Jack Swing, but this has this has like it, it's it's like early '90s I guess like maybe Bobby Brown or Bell Biv. Yeah, to- Tony, Tony, Tony used yeah. to say it all, all the time. They used to talk about how they got that New Jack Swing. Yeah, yeah, and this this has like elements of that. I feel like. Um, yeah, I, I, I always have to call out the tambourine if I hear it on a record. <laughs> there, there's, ta- there's tambourine. They in the found song. some tambourine. That's we definitely good. we get to start hearing that slide guitar in this one or the steel guitar too, and that, that really just pleased me when I started to hear that because yeah. I just love that sound. So. And yeah. I, I did I caught I caught a reference. You know, they wanted to bring in so first album I, I did find the name um, Who Can You Trust? Yeah. But this album they wanted to to distinguish themselves from 
the kind of Portis had massive attack realm we were talking about, and they yeah. thought to do that by including a, a country or vibe, um, yeah, American country feel, which really plays out in the next song. But yeah. we'll get to that. So yeah, and we'll get to it right now. All right, uh, we'll get to it right now. <laughs> yeah, I wrote co- I wrote country hop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> part of track three, part of the process is this is like their other big single. Um, process, as she says, and her lovely British accent. Oh, yeah, process. Kind of uh, sounds like uh, Bjork. Like, not her voice sounds like her, but like the way she sings this one reminded me of Bjork for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and this one does, it, it does have that like bluesier thing. You got the slide guitar. That, there's a fiddle in here. No one is credited with the fiddle. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering where that's coming from, but it's very cool that it's in there. They didn't and, want to pay him. Yeah. 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 And I, I say, I say fiddle because even though it's pretty much the same instrument as a violin, it's just the way that it, it's played is not a violin style of playing. It's a fiddle style no, of playing. Definitely a fiddle style. And yeah. uh, you know, the, the slide guitar uh, and kind of that middle breakdown is some of the just sexiest slide i mean in in my mind when i was younger and you know this made me want to pick up a guitar and try to emulate that sound and it was so it was like this country yet jazzy approach to it i mean it's you know it's yeah uh just my one of this is my favorite song on the album and that's one of my favorite kind of guitar solos country slide guitar solos yeah Um, and such good hooks, such good hooks that she writes with her voice. Like I catch, I, I mean, I caught myself singing this one like over and over again. Like uh, even after the album was done, this was it, this one kind of got stuck there. But it, just that, um, what would you say? Like the idea of like trying to get ahead, like the desire to get ahead, the whole process. We all love looking down. I, I felt like that. That always meant like we want, you know, we want to keep climbing. We want to be on the top. Right. Yeah. But, you know, what you say, the opportunities are, are never found, though. It's like, it's all, it's all desire, but it's never... Uh, the chance is never around. Yeah, the chance yeah. is never around. It's all desire, but we never, we never get it. But, um, yeah, good Paul song. wrote, again, thinking yeah. of, that, of him writing it makes it a different light for me. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, and the, uh, you know, Gabe telling us, about all of the 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 wildness and the the debauchery and the drug use going on it it, it kind of gives me a different perspective on the lyrics knowing that now yeah. too mm-hmm. uh track four blindfold uh, the love and heartbreak song very melancholy it's the same key like i liked this album i really didn't write anything negative in my notes except for it's the same key as the song before it yeah and and sometimes like they would have put it in a different spot on the album maybe it wouldn't have been so like it just felt like she was kind of it was like an extension of her last vocal yeah to me. but again that's not her call probably um yeah. they're probably picking the track list and stuff but that's just something you you try to avoid when you make records you know you try to split up your songs to sound similar but well you know and i don't i don't want to jump i don't want to i my i don't want to jump ahead to my personal reveal i told you i only have one nitpick about this album and you sort of touch on it as far as um placement and this was one of the first albums that uh i ever had i had the original uh, i was gifted to me but i made a bunch of copies of it in the event that i ever lost to the original and in doing that, messing around with MP3s on my computer, I rearranged um, the the flow of songs. And um, to your point, yeah, this one I think would do better later in the album. Yeah, um, for sure. So you're like you're like Alfred Molina's character in Boogie Nights. I, I feel like I'm like Mike Jeffers and and you know half a cent. Any any time I mean, we we got deep into. You know, song placement, and especially considering, you know, with those albums, there was a moment where you had to get up and turn the album over. So there needed to be this invite to continue to engage, and yeah. um, and that uh, there's there's this this album I think has a little bit of an obstacle with that. If I was drinking or smoking with them in the studio while they were making it, I may raise my <laughs> hand, but I didn't get to be there. I had I had class. I was uh, I had to go to high school. Uh, one note I wrote down for this one that I wrote down before I found out who wrote the lyrics 
in the lyrics to this one, there is a gender swap in the narrative. She refers to herself as uh, a man. She's like, I, I'm, I'm just a, I forget the lyric is, but she refers to herself as a man looking for a woman or something like that. And I, I just thought like, well, maybe, you know, maybe the, this, there's like a story going on here, but no, like I wrote these lyrics yeah. and so- she, she didn't even bother to like change them. You know, like, I, I mean, I think that's kind of cool. She's like, oh, who cares? So according to, to uh, the source that I shared with you guys, this was actually credited not not as a part of that uh, Christmas fueled experience, but tapped to be involved in a Nick Cassavetes movie. Called oh, yeah. He's so lovely. Yeah. Oh, that um, makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. So it, it steps out, I think, of their their normal inspiration for things. And they talk he he makes an interesting point about this this is one of those songs that's very strings heavy. And yeah. you know, they just talk about how trying to arrange screen strings is difficult because um strings are not they're not on the beat. They don't play on the beat, they play ahead of the beat. And yeah. Um, trying, you know, coming from a DJ perspective that's so beat centric, it was, it was tricky to wrap their minds around a little bit. But yeah. it's a great song. But Jr., to your point, yeah, it's a little ill placed, kind of in this moment, right mm-hmm. off of the the one right before it, which I, is so strong. You know, that's such a mm-hmm. strong track too. It's hard to follow. Hey, uh, yeah, track five. Let me see. Uh, this one, they got a couple of uh, guest people on this one. They a guy named. Uh, Dom Pimpkin plays the organ, and a guy named Jimmy Hastings plays all the flute. Um, but those are cool names, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure those guys have some stories. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I know that Jimmy Hastings has been around for a long time as part that of that. That's such a cool musician's name. Jimmy yeah, he, Hastings. Wow. He was he was part of like a jazz ensemble that did a lot of stuff. A, a band called Caravan back in the seventies. Oh yeah, I've heard of them. Yeah, he's on he's on pretty much every album they did. Well, that keyboard part is rad. Yeah, the little the, on this song. Yeah, yeah the loop, Fender, loop, the Fender yeah. Road solo. Yeah, this is the this is the Road solo song. We all just made um, keyboard <laughs> yeah, solo sure fingers, did. and sure I, we made a point to show each other our <laughs> um, our keyboard solo <laughs> fingers. <laughs> um, a lot of a lot of good positive visions in this song. Is it? This is one more of those uh, positive songs. It's pretty minimal, though, especially for having guests. Like it's as far as uh, the rest of them, it's very lightly produced and not not too much going on. Yeah, those. I mean, those flutes do stand out, which is really very cool. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, then we get the instrumental on the album, Bulletproof, track six. Uh, I yeah. I do I do think it's it's cool that they they do still include instrumentals, just you know. Because they have such an electronic background, and like we talked about, the brothers had been working on this album like way before they got Sky involved. So, so really, it was just sort of like this was a track that maybe, maybe they themselves like had set aside, and like we ju- we really like what's going on in this track all by itself. And they they made sure to add a lot of cool like layers to this one. Oh yeah, I I like Sky's voice, love her, think she's great. But this is one of my favorite ones. I love this. It's I, somewhere yeah. it's somewhere between a Cypress Hill sample and a sound, Snatch soundtrack song. Yeah. So, like, just, yeah. like really really good. The DJ work like Paul's no joke. He's got some great scratching in this song. Yeah, like he, he throws down. I mean, which is again appreciated. I don't like just like wicka wicka woo every once in a while. It's kind of no. Silly, but the way he uses it in layers, like you said, Mike. But also, then he shows off a little on this song, which it's nice to know. Like the dude's doing the scratches, got some talent. Yeah, and do you uh, do you think that I I think it's public enemy? From what I could tell, he's like he's doing a public enemy. He's scratching a public yeah. enemy sample. It's the the hold it, hold it. Oh, for, yeah, yeah. That's, that's what it sounds like. It's definitely mean, Chuck D. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it the, sounds like yeah, it's on Fear of the Black Planet. Yeah, and the, the the really crunchy keys. There's like this crunchy bass key thing going on. That I I really dig that a lot. I think it's a Hammond. Yeah. Well, but this just, was always to, you know to relate this uh, you know to all of our positive drug experiences. This was a great cool down moment. You know, a lot of, a lot of frenetic energy leading up to this. This was a good opportunity to run to the bathroom, get some <laughs> yeah. snack 
drinks you could you could converse a little bit if it was a social setting but um this was you know they talk about their you know they were deep into a lot of experimentation so they wanted to have some psychedelic inclusion in this but um this this is one of the well-placed moments in the album they really did drop this at, i think just the right moment to allow everybody. i think mean it's the end of side a yeah i, I mean, think this it, could be the end of side a absolutely. if it was yeah if it was a record uh -huh. it's definitely the middle yeah. but i i really i this is like where placement starts to get really cool because they follow it up with with just the acoustic song mm -hmm. which is really cool they followed up with over and over which is such a like sitting around a campfire yeah song. very traditional yeah. very traditional song and if Except you were gonna... gets, there's some french horn and something in there too in the background yeah, yeah they, they got to add see something else because they're in the studio yeah. but but it does if you if this was a traditional album this would be you know if this was setting the say stage for side b you know this would um uh this would engage me i'd be like oh yeah where, where is it this is so different from what we've heard what else might we hear yeah you know on this path so i yeah i just feel like this this is the one that like a young you know like a young woman trying to get into music would hear this song and be like this is the one that i could learn like you know you pick up an acoustic guitar it's like this is a good starting place to like learn a song because it like the the chorus is you know it's so like it's simple but it's catchy their you vocal know. harmonies are incredible on this. Yeah, song. yeah, and this this is like where the harmonies like really shine because because there's no drum there's no drums to like sort of like fill in the Round gaps. Yeah. yeah, and I think that the the harmonies it almost sounds like a different person, but I know no one else is credited with singing on this song. So this like this additional voice that she unlocked for this song, it. It, like it's it's so much more like masculine it it's kind of like this this very deep harmony that she's doing it's i don't know it's very cool i i almost i i tried to find out if this was someone else singing the the you know the harmony but paul's paul's like you you're doing my lyrics now try to sing like me too <laughs> yeah if you could just talk this in that'd be great <laughs> what and looking back at this one i i heard reference you know they over and over and over again was meant to relate to the um you know the i i had to i had to look up this term bed sit we're talking about how they lived in this this one room bed sit oh yeah and at the end of a block that had all of the uh, cop cars all of the uh, emergency vehicles coming down and it was you could never get a moment's rest you could, you could never get mental peace because it was just over and over and over again from the street on in there bed sit is a studio bedroom yeah. sitting room combined yeah so for all you listeners out there who who didn't know that so <laughs> it, is, it is it is a very good like representation of like the repetition of life especially if you're if you're just living in a one-room flat yeah. you know it's gonna, mm -hmm. but yeah you know, we we talked earlier about how it's kind of a shame she didn't get to play guitar on this album this would have been the one that she mm -hmm. could have played guitar on i think and then when they play live she could come out and do it by herself yeah exactly know. I don't have any reference or grab. I mean, is she a musician as well? I haven't seen her do anything. He, said when, he said when they found her in the funk band, she was playing guitar and singing she backups. Was, okay. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Um, Which would totally draw my eye because she's, yeah. be she's beautiful as well. I would have been like, who is that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then uh, an it follow, follows it up with a, a really good one, uh, Friction, which is the reggae song. Oh, I, the reggae I, song. I feel like any mm -hmm. any English trip-hop or pop band out there, it's like you can't get away from the reggae. They love it. And, I mean, yeah. she has, like, Jamaican ancestry, so, like, it had to be done. And it is actually one – like, I remember I remember back in the, the 90s, early 2000s when I was jamming this album a lot more – and this this was the one that stood out. I I wanted to put this one on like all the time. Some people say this is the single song that inspired No Doubt to go to Jamaica and make their album in uh, 2001. Oh yeah. That, because a lot of people would say that this sounds like early No Doubt, but they were ska, and this is '98, and they made their reggae album in 2001. So a lot of people think that they inspired them. Yeah. So, very interesting. Yeah, I mean it's great. it's got all it's got all the the trappings that you need. It's got the horns, uh, the great bass. They're so good. The horns are so good on that. Yeah, the horns are so good. And of course they got you know this is the one where they got to bring in some guest folks to do some of that that reggae dance hall style. 
Uh, a guy yes, named that, St- that wasn't Paul. Paul didn't do this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a guy named Spiky T. Yes, of course. Yeah. Old that makes Spike it even more. That makes it so authentic reggae that there's a guest guest person doing the dance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and the the whole like the you know the the lyrical content is you know it's 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 got the political social commentary to it. You know, it's all about like the 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 friction that that comes off the streets when when people are are tired of shit. You know, and that friction becomes a fire. Uh, and her, yeah. you know, her vocal range is so. Um, high on this one compared to the low we were talking about with over and over and, and uh, you know she demonstrates such a tremendous range on this but it really speaks to to have her I mean this song is uh, I, I don't when I say basic I don't mean that as an insult it's it's uh, it's concise yeah. it does not have a lot of layers and yet uh, they're may they're able to make it seem so deep you know just just a uh, um, some subtle, subtle nudges and tools here. So yeah, um, and then then we get an interlude. Not, I mean, it's instrumental, but at the same time, it's kind of short. And this is the one where he's like, "Hey, I bought a sitar, everybody." Mm-hmm. But but also, I'm still in the country. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yes, yeah. you played slide on a on a sitar. You guys heard slide on a sitar before. Yeah, uh, oh. track track nine, digging a watery grave. It's uh, it's like a mashup of like blues and Middle Eastern. Yeah. Um, that sounds like an old country song too. Yeah, yeah. digging digging a watery grave. Digging yeah, it does. Grave. I um, always thought this that could be background music for, you know, an anti-hero in a uh, you know in a Western or more modern Western breakdown. Yeah. You know, can show up unjustified and be good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's he's in the city now, so he's justified <laughs> in the city. So yeah, that that sitar yeah. culture. Uh, it's. I mean, it's so short. It almost feels like he went out. He he brought this sitar in and he got this lap steel together and he he just did this little thing by himself, probably. Um, and it came like way late in the recording process. They had they had all the tracks they needed, and he was just fucking around with this one little thing and he brought it to them. And they're like, it's not even a full song. He's like, yeah, I know, but it sounds so cool. <laughs> like yeah, they're like yeah, like inter- interludes are cool on albums. So yeah, we'll stick it in there. But um, and then uh, yeah, and then it it follows. You know, it's another good placement because the next one is sort of like their their big ballad, uh, fear and love. It, big ballad, big strings. Uh, it has like the deepest message of all of the songs. Really I feel like it's a little bit of a callback back to by the sea as well or the sea rather i mean it gets into that repetitive um yeah uh, what's what in the chorus or however you describe yeah it, but, but it, I, they do one of the coolest things with the repetition of the chorus which is that for 90 80 percent of the song there are no drums and so when they finally hit that chorus for the last time to to make it seem like it's not as repetitive the drums kick in and i think it is like one of the tasteful most tasteful moments on the whole record is like when those drums can kick in right at the end of the song yeah and those are live drums on this song yeah yeah, yeah. that though my my one little complaint is that they cut the drums off like too soon like the end you know like i felt like the drums should have gone all the way to the end like just fade them out yeah but um yeah i this this is a very good one this is probably one of my favorite songs on the album I mean, very just cla- very classic sounding. Yeah. yeah, and just that, just the message behind the song is 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 so good. Yeah, I like the line, "We can live in fear, extend ourselves to love." It's just a great message. It really yeah. is. Uh, I wish I could just like get the lyrics out and show them to my kids. Like, yeah. here's some life lessons yeah. in there for you. You're an and- adult. You can scribble things onto your walls <laughs> if you want to put that on. If you want to carve that into the door, you know. Yeah, there you go. Just it, do that. I mean, yeah. it really could have been the album closer. If they didn't already have their title track, Big Calm. Which... So, and that brings me to my gripe yeah. for this. I kind of thought this yeah. was going to be oh the one. Oh my God. That should have, <laughs> Fear and Love should have been what they went out on. They should yeah. have swapped this. I can't tell you how many times I've been like drifting off to sleep or cuddling or, you know, everybody's just in that, you know, coming off of that wonderful glow of, 
fear and love to have it broken up by the bizarre sort of you know almost sci-fi approach to the song big calm yeah so should have swapped them big calm should have been second to last for sure second exactly yeah um i mean it's this because of that i got a lot of built up uh I got ish with this this last song, <laughs> um, and I, you know, it's yeah, it's the fact that it's the title track is great, and it's, you know, I know they really appreciate the song, but I don't know how it it was the swan song, how it's what you go out on. Yeah. Uh, it's an incredibly conscious decision that they made and were okay with because it's the only explicit song on the on the album, mm-hmm. which which are, yeah. already puts them in a different demographic for sales and yeah. for play radio play although they didn't get the parental advisory which is pretty interesting because it's the end he says uh fuck yeah. this, that bullshit and uses the n-word a few times but um it's just so that was to me it was kind of punk rock like mm-hmm. but we're gonna have this really very vanilla lyric kind of album and then we're really gonna double down when we do, when we go explicit, yeah. and uh, do you do you feel like it's the only moment on the album too that is American? That yeah, sounds American. That sounds. Sure. You, yeah, you got this. You know what? That's an amazing point that never occurred to me. But damn, that is that's it's, a. It's like an point. it's an English album up till this very last moment where I I don't know if this rapper is American or not. He definitely sounds American, but yeah, this this guy named Jason Furlow who goes by the name No Sag, which is just Jason backwards. I mean, oh, um, No Sag the Great. And it's it's funny that you, you brought this up earlier, JR, that you read, this was, made a list of like best- Guest appearances. Uh, best rap appearances, right? And I I thought it was completely mediocre. I felt, yeah. like, I felt like his verses weren't really that exciting at all. I think it's the time period. Like it's it's a very modern rap style. Um, back when that wasn't really kind of happening yet, I think is why it made that list. Yeah, I think that's because the way he raps with the song and with the sample is it's very copied later. Is why they made the list. But yeah, it's very mediocre. It's funny that Paul wrote those lyrics too. But I'm just kidding. <laughs> I will say what's funny is, of course, because it's the only explicit song, I opened up the lyrics for this one for sure to see. Um, and he, anyone who knows me, has been around me, knows I sometimes I make this sound. I go, and yeah. um, he does one of those sounds in the song. And yeah. I wanted to see what the lyrics say <laughs> oh, yeah. for that. And right. they do they do it or a script for it. It's two asterisks with the word in the middle, B R O U H bro. Oh yeah, bro. Yeah. yeah. Cause he's just like huh. yeah. So I thought I thought that was great. I mean that was worth it for me just seeing that. But uh yeah, it's definitely a, a left turn if you listen <laughs> to the album as a whole. The other the thing, thing I, I, oh, go oh, ahead. Go ahead. Oh. I I was okay, so one thing, you know, despite, again, I mean, I, I respect the song and the, the lyric from this, things I used to do with her, I now do alone. I always thought was, I mean, that stood out to me as so deep as far as relational connectionship. And I was like, is that, is that like, is that, you know, going places alone? Is that masturbating now because I don't have sex with this person anymore? I mean, I, I've, I've what gone I down a rabbit hole. <laughs> You yeah. know, considering that, but if it is, if that's a euphemism for jerking off, that is amazing. It's just that reading. Beautiful. They just read books together. And now you're yeah, now we read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now yeah. He, he does all the grocery shopping alone now. Yeah, uh-huh. he yeah. used to walk the dog with her, and now I do that uh-huh. alone. Yeah. So. Uh, the yeah. other the other thing that stands out in this track that uh, none of the other tracks have is a big rock guitar solo. You notice that it's like. It, I mean, it, it's very heavy. It's it's the most rocking guitar on the whole Again, album. It's very American. <laughs> now that now that you've said that, now that that is kind of out of the bag, it's like it's so it's such a duh thing. You hear the songs like that. That is so meant to cater to the American public as an American potential single, yeah. you know, adult contemporary single, and it's so shoehorned in there. I don't know. I'm mad. I'm mad about it. Uh, well, that, I mean, that is the official end of the album, but there is a bonus track called The Music That We Hear, and this is actually a reworking of a song called Moog Island that's on the previous album. They decided to just release it as a separate bonus track. Um, but, you know, 
we don't have to talk about that because it's... I got, no, I got nothing on that. The first time I heard that extra song, I thought maybe uh, it wasn't included on the one, the album that I had, you know, the first time I, around. And so, I will say that... Imported or whatever, yeah. Yeah. I will say that I, I really like the message behind it. The whole, the song itself is about how music itself heals people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, ah, yeah, it's good. Great. I love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here's what came after. They released a few more albums, uh, had some success. Uh, the thing, the next couple didn't have as much success. Sky's contribution began to wane. Uh, and then in 2003, the brothers decided to split from her. Uh, she, she said that she was actually relieved. She was kind of like wanting to get out herself. So that's what happened. They put out a greatest hits and a live DVD, uh, in 2005, the Godfrey brothers decided to start it back up again with a different singer. They did a whole album with another singer. Then halfway into the tour with her, they fired her. She she sued them for what for defamation and breach of contract, whatever. Then they they brought in a temporary singer to finish out the tour. Uh, then they did another one after that, and this time they decided to do a bunch of different singers, kind of like a Massive Attack style, where they bring in a lot of different people. Um, then, um, at the, the whole time sky is doing solo stuff. Uh, I've never actually heard any of her solo albums, but she, four of them out. And then she eventually rejoined the band of 2010. They put out two more albums. Uh, and then Paul wanted to leave this time in 2014. And this is interesting. They, he wanted he wanted them to buy him out, like pay him his share of the band. And the band couldn't come up with an agreement on how much each share was worth. Right. And so because they couldn't come to an agreement, uh, they could, no one could use the name Morchiba unless all three of them were in the band. So sky and Ross decided to go out on their own. They already had a bunch of music. So they went out on their own and they just called themselves Sky and Ross. And uh, so I'd like to hear some of that because she's probably writing those lyrics. Yeah, exactly. And, and they just kind of started out as like an acoustic duo. And then get this, this is cool. Members of both of their families, like her her son and her husband and his wife, all joined the band and they became their backup band. So yeah. that's cool. Sky Sky and Ross and the family. Nice. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and they released a, a couple of things, uh, and, or, and they released an album in 2016. And then of course, Paul comes back, uh, and they all got back together and they put out two more albums, 2018 and one in 2022. And right now, I guess they're still like in a holding pattern. So the, the picture wow. on Spotify is just Ross and Sky. So. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. maybe, maybe he left again. I don't know, but are you just done like pictures? <laughs> but yeah that's that's more cheap uh, the, oh the one thing i forgot to bring up is when they played live they actually hired a bunch of musicians and they would yeah, hi- they were hi- some videos yeah uh, they would hire they up to break. like five different people so they had a huge band on stage i th- it's interesting to me in researching this i feel like from their perspective they have operated with a lot more success than I was aware of, you know, a lot mm-hmm. more influence and just the way they talk about bringing in different musicians, having that touring experience and having different bands, you know, you know, different people come in having big bands. Um, I'm, I thought, you know, my, my perception of this when I was listening to it at the time was that it was sort of a hidden gem. And um, I, I was not aware of the third album. Um, I thought the next album to come out was, the what i guess it's their fourth one the one called charango oh yeah and um and it was good but it was nowhere near as as solid as, as yeah. the first one i've so. i've listened to the the album that came out in 2000 uh fractures something like that mm-hmm. and i've listened to the one before that and i realized that they have a lot of music that i've never heard yeah. so i i did hear the one that came out in 2021 just because it, it popped up in a you know it popped up on a spotify thing of like new releases and i was like oh shit more chiba i, I kind of forgot yeah. about them and i i listened to it and i liked it a lot so but i'm glad it was on the list because i hadn't heard it in a long time it was very nostalgic because i i did listen to this album a lot around that the time it came out 
it was interesting to go through, you know, and, and kind of looking back at other albums and other musicians that were producing in 1998. Um, you know, my mind kind of goes to Dave Matthews immediately. And just because I had, I had a number of Dave Matthews albums and none of them I connected with as much as this one more Chiba album <laughs> that, that yeah. I had. So it's just interesting kind of the impact of that, of oh, that time. And I, for, I forgot about the origin of the name. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So more M O R is an acronym for middle of the road, which was at the time it was a musical genre and it later got rebranded as soft adult contemporary, mm-hmm. but, but it's early, it's early um, form was this M O R middle of the road. It's just, you know, it, I'd never heard of that before. Well, and when then, you say middle of the road Chiba, it makes me think mids or something. Mids, and exactly. Then, yeah, yeah. 30, 30 <laughs> to 35. Uh, it, well, we don't need to get into the specifics. My children, <laughs> children might be listening to this sometime in the future. But um, but yeah, it's uh, um, yeah, and of course, Chiba is just another, is a slang term for marijuana. Um, Which is a slang term for cannabis cannabis right which, which is a slang term for weed we yeah it's a <laughs> Again, for, cannabis, for, cannabis I, is not a slang term at all i just think <laughs> yeah. that marijuana like was scientific. like yeah I, I, I it's interesting to think of I, I thought marijuana would just be the root but is that a slang for for cannabis is oh i'm oh wait I, we could I completely ignored the fact that Gabe was like, "Oh, let's not talk about this because." Yeah. My- <laughs> no, that ship. I think that ship has sailed. So, I think you used the term "fuck music" earlier today. Was that? Was that- oh yeah, it's fuckable. So, it's yeah, very fuckable. Yeah. Ago. So, you know, you know, yeah. Uh, now, become an adults-only podcast. So, <laughs> Gabe, thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, yeah, it's a, a pleasure to be here. It was nice to jump back into the uh, the podcast music saddle for an evening. Mm-hmm. Uh, things things have been crazy, and this has been a great great little respite. So yeah, um, um, we'll see you again soon. Bye. I like it. Cheers. <laughs>